ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Holly Carroll, welcome to ATV Talk. Thanks for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I read some information about you and I gotta know, I've never heard of a Polaris Phoenix before. <laughs> it's definitely not your race quad or anything close. It's definitely a trail bike and low end beginner style bike. No shifting. It even has a reverse. So that would give people an idea as to what kind of bike it is. Well, you had a lot of fun on it, I'm sure. I had some of the best riding memories on that bike. That was the bike I learned how to ride on. I, at the time, I thought it was an amazing machine, a dream come true. And the memories I had on that bike with the friends that we rode with in the woods definitely would be some of the best riding memories. I don't think that would ever be replaced <laughs> with anything on a track. That's awesome. You live up in the, the Northeast? Yeah, right now I live in central Pennsylvania. Okay. And that's not when you were talking about some of the places that you've ridden, you grew up or you did most of your early riding in the Northeast, correct? Yes. So I was born and raised in Baltimore. And believe it or not, there is a lot of trail riding to do in and around Baltimore. And that's where I learned how to ride. Uh, most of the property around there is trespassing. Technically, most of it's owned by the Baltimore Gas and Electric Company. Um, but as long as you're not being uh, disruptive or damaging the property most of the time you can get away with riding they don't care then right right that's awesome and you, then you went from that phoenix to a 350 warrior 
well, it's very close. It was a Raptor 350, but for all intents and purposes, it, I think the Warrior same is thing. just about the same bike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's okay. I did some magazine articles on them, and and uh, it's the same quad. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think for all intents and purposes, I think it just had a different name to it. <laughs> so what I didn't get from this time of start riding to the time of of racing, how long did you ride before you started racing? So I did a lot of woods riding. I bought my first bike. The first bike that I bought was that Raptor 350. I bought that in 2009, later in 2009, and stuck to riding the woods for a long time. I didn't have my first motocross race until 2016 was the first race I entered. It was an outlaw series race at Breezewood Proving Grounds. And then from there, I did a handful of races here and there, kind of if it fell into the schedule. And then we raced our first full series in 2018. And that again was at Breezewood Proving Grounds for their outlaw series. That's awesome. And you competed, have you competed in the nationals at all? Yeah. So this past year, 2021 was our first full season of nationals. And how'd you do? I took fifth overall in the WMX, which met our goal um, for our full, for our first full season. We wanted to make it within the top five. So we just made it. <laughs> and what did you think of the nationals? I loved it. We did our first national in 2019 as part of the District 6 series. They tie, they, District 6 uh, is a local series, regional series um, to Central PA, and they try to bridge the gap between regional and nationals. They usually try to tie in one to two district races into a national race. Either they'll have a district six class at the nationals to sign up for, or they'll let you know basically what class to sign up for that will count towards your district six points. So our first national was at Unadilla in 2019 was when we were first introduced to the national scene. And we ran that one national in 2019. And then last year we ran, I believe two, it was Pleasure Valley and Aonia Pass. We were intending to run the entire series last year, but COVID kind of messed up the schedule for us. So we pushed it back to this year. You keep saying we. Yeah. Elaborate for me. So me and my now fiance, he is the heart and soul of the operation behind we. Okay. <laughs> he is the uh, owner at Kramer Motorsports. His name is Eric Kramer. And he has, by all means, facilitated my riding career in every aspect. <laughs> nice. So he maintains your machine and helps you with them and, and, and gets you, get you to the track? 
uh, yeah, I mean, anything and everything in between. He builds them from the ground up, breaks them down at the end of each year, strips them, rebuilds them, every wrench turned, every part ordered, the washing, the hauling, everything. <laughs> wow. That's that's a pretty good guy there, right? Having a yeah. like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty well known around uh, our district, and he's starting to gain a reputation at nationals. With our first year being at nationals, like I said, this year was our first year running the whole series, so his name is kind of spreading around. <laughs> that's awesome. And does he ride, or is he? No, just he used to just a mechanic now he used to ride dirt bikes okay well that's pretty awesome that so does he have more riders than just you no uh he sponsors several riders uh especially through districts um but as far as other riders or a team it's just me and him well that's awesome for you you got a built-in, yeah. awesome, a built-in awesome mechanic. You know, you can't ask for better. Uh, no, definitely not. I think uh, I'm beyond blessed <laughs> to have an opportunity like that. So does he? Does he go ride with you much? I go out to the track. Uh, I don't think there's only been, but maybe one or two times I've ever been to the track without him. He'll always go out to the track. Uh, we go out together. He watches, he coaches, he trains, you know, he's always the biggest number one supporting fan <laughs> rooting for me. So I usually go to the track, do a couple of laps, pull off, tell him how the uh, quad's feeling on the track. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. So kind of wrench on a couple of things, send me back out. And that'll usually go on for all of a practice day. <laughs> What else do you do besides riding training as far as uh, gym work, cycling, so on and so forth? Uh, so last year to get ready for the season, we started around November. I went, uh, I would go to the gym pretty much every day, did a lot of cardio. Uh, I was running probably around three or four times a week, a couple of miles. Uh, each time. And then I would do a power training program, which worked on strength and power as the name is, gives it away. <laughs> and then just, you know, a really strict diet as far as when and what to eat, uh, when to fuel, when to recharge, when to lean. Um, and then of course, seat time would be your biggest number one thing. I was asking Andrea about her training in the winter. Beings that you're in Pennsylvania, does your riding suffer in the in the winter months? I would say so because it's not a lot of tracks will be open. They usually close, uh, you know, most of them will close November. Some of them will push it till December or at least until the weather is you know, once the weather stops consistently being decent for practice days, when tracks close, there's really not many places to ride locally. So then unless you're traveling, you really don't have anywhere to get that seat time at. Do you do any uh, 
other forms of racing besides motocross? No. Just motocross? Just motocross. It, you I, haven't? Go ahead. I think maybe eventually I would get back into woods riding. I, I'm very fond of it. I guess it's just where I came from is a lot of years riding around in the woods. Um, but maybe that would be later on <laughs> in life, maybe after a couple of years. So just trail riding, or you think about getting into some XC racing? Maybe some XC, GNCC. I mean, I know it's a whole different beast, but, uh, I, you know, the woods has always has a spot <laughs> in my heart since I enjoyed it so much when I did ride it. I think it wouldn't be too unfamiliar for me to get back to even after all these years but right now i still love the track too much <laughs> to leave it you, you you say all these years and i'm just guessing i didn't look at some of the dates you don't look old enough to have all these years yeah <laughs> Or you can never ask a woman her age. I'm not going, I'm not going to, I'm just saying you don't look old enough to have all these years. So. Well, I bought that, that first bike that I bought that Raptor 350. So that was the first one that I bought. And like I said, that was in 2009. However, I was riding that God mistaken Polaris around for a couple of years before that. And, uh, me and my neighbor, we used to go woods riding. When I say every day, all day, it would not be an exaggeration. So probably since 2000, like late 2007, up until 2015 or so, 2014. I mean, that's what we were doing every day. Well, that's that's great that you were on a four-wheeler that much. <laughs> Yeah. So, so because you ride motocross now, do you enjoy it that much more because you don't get to ride it as much? Uh, the motocross, even though the season is limited, you know, to summertime, I mean, it still is a pretty decent length this season. I mean, most of our riding starts in March you know, is when we can kind of get back out to the track and start practicing. Most tracks around us will open in March. And then racing, you typically will start in April for us um, with districts. And then between districts and nationals, we're racing into October sometimes. So it's a pretty lengthy season. So I definitely love the track for the style of riding and, you know, the fact that you do get so, so, so much of a season with it. Do you race a lot of district races and nationals at the same time? Yes. So this season, we still continue to race districts on top of a full season of nationals. We raced two classes at districts and one class at nationals so we ended up attending 43 gate drops this season wow i feel sorry for that poor guy <laughs> he'll take all the pity that he can get 
How, how does he have time to do anything else other than maintain your machines? <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> Most of the time during the season, you'll hear him grumbling about how he's never at work and he needs to go and be at work. <laughs> yeah, because or we're not going to have money to make it to the races. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I get it. <sighs> Taking care of those machines, it's, there's nothing simple about it and nothing's quick. No. I mean, he has pulled off some miracles. He has done some crazy jobs in a matter of hours in a trailer overnight when a motor has blown or we've had a failed part, you know, as expected with the wear and tear on the machine. And we've still made it to every gate drop. <laughs> that's incredible. That's, that's great. I mean, it's, it's very difficult you know, to work at that level with that many gates and make all of them. Yeah, so we had every intention of, we had a practice quad and a race quad for this season. Uh, the practice quad, the frame, honestly just needs to be replaced entirely. And we kind of just kept piecing it together uh, as different parts would crack and break. We would buy a new part of the frame and replace it. Uh, eventually it got to a point where we were unable to ride the practice quad for uh, a moment in time. And then the race bike became uh, the district and the national bike which was not the original plan in order to save the motor. You know, we wanted to just kind of limit it to only nationals. Things never go as planned. So for us to have made every race on that same motor and to have crossed and gotten a checkered flag for every race that we started, that accomplishment in itself was amazing for the both of us. That's incredible. That's awesome. Let me ask you this, the transition from district to nationals, what was it like for you? In all honesty, it wasn't too big of a leap as far as the style tracks and the riding and the jumps and the terrain. Most of that, we get a great taste for uh, with the tracks that we go to with the Ultimate Quad Series for District 6. I would just say that the five laps compared to four laps that we run for WMX, you know, that the first time, the first couple of national races that I did, that was probably the biggest obstacle to overcome was just that one extra lap <laughs> was killer. Uh, but the more training and the more riding, uh, and now with the whole season of nationals, it, it's just second nature at this point. What do you think of the skill level against the other ladies that you ride with? It's, Certainly uh, a big difference between districts and nationals. I feel like in nationals, you kind of gather up all of your best riders and biggest competitors from all of your local areas. And then everyone kind of comes together for districts or for nationals. So you're getting obviously the best of the best. 
And it's certainly a, a big challenge. I mean, the girls in WMX are definitely fast and you can tell that they've been doing it a long time. I think most of the girls have been riding or racing since around the same age that they could learn how to walk. Yep. So that was intimidating considering that when I was coming into the sport, I was, didn't have much under my belt when it came to racing and the riding that I did have experience with was an entire different style of riding. After a few years though, everything just starts to blend and mesh together. <laughs> so you're not afraid of the big jumps? No, that I would say that that's probably my one up is that's what I like, you know, when it comes to rhythm sections or cornering or different obstacles, I would say the jumps are probably my favorite. Really? It's yeah. So in 2019, when we were approaching our very first national race, we have a track out local to us in Fredericksburg called Sleepy Hollow. And they have a jump there called the Bonsai. You get a good bit of air on. It's really not that big of a jump, but it's a booter. And the whole goal that year in 2019 was to hit this jump in preparation to go to Unadilla and hit Skyshot. So we had a couple of practice days and races at that track. And then finally in June, we went and I ended up hitting the jump after uh, a speech with tough love <laughs> from the fiance. And then when we went out to Unadilla, the entire goal there, regardless of how we placed in the race I really just wanted to hit this jump that everybody talked about and Friday's practice the whole day I was going to hit it going to hit it going to hit it never hit it and then Saturday morning came and you get one last practice before the races start so it was now or never so my friend Caden, he usually helps get me over the jumps kind of tells me how to approach them what speed how to carry the momentum so Saturday morning came and it was the last round of practice. And I went out and I just went ahead and hit it like he told me to and thought, oh, my God, this was a moment of regret. I was in the air kind of feeling that zero G's. <laughs> and then I landed and I thought, well, that was pretty fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked, I, you know, all day Friday when I had every intention of hitting it, I kept looking over to the bleachers to the right and all of our friends were there. And every time I came up and I didn't hit the jump. So then Saturday morning, while I was in the air, I looked over and not a single soul was in those bleachers. I thought I finally hit this jump and nobody's watching. <laughs> so then I pulled off the track and I ran into some friends and then ran into my now fiance. And I said, I hit, I hit the sky shot and nobody saw me hit it. You know, I finally did it. I finally manned up and did it and nobody got to see it. He said, everybody saw it. 
I said, well, how did you see it? Nobody was even sitting down there. He said, you can see whoever hits that jump from all the way at the top of the track. I mean, it just throws you so high. Everybody saw me hit it. I said, well, what did you think? What did you think? He goes, well, you know, a lot could go wrong. He started going through this whole list of like, what could have happened? And I said, well, I thought the whole point of us coming here was to hit this jump. And he says, well, I never thought you were going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So is, is he prepared to be married to an adrenaline junkie? Oh yeah. He definitely knows that that's the deal by now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. Any of the, any of the other ladies that you, that you race with, uh, other than Andrea, did you guys spark up friendships, uh, talk strategies together, work on training, anything like that? Uh, so I would say this year around at nationals, I got, uh, a lot of opportunity to talk to most of the girls that were consistently racing the series. You know, it was, very common to see them out and wave high, maybe have a couple of minutes of a quick chat conversation. Um, I think the one race we were at, maybe I can't remember if it was the last race at Briarcliff or another national, I ended up having a long conversation with uh, Neem and I probably held her up to the point where she regretted coming over towards my campsite. (laughs) (laughs) um but it was nice to you know meet most of the girls like I said the ones that rode consistently uh the series or even you know some of the girls who you know maybe did a handful of the races definitely I would say made some new friendships and you know hope to see them again just you know this coming year in 22 that you had mentioned that you had met Michelle Jenkins Did you race against her earlier in your motocross days? Yeah, so when I first started racing, like I said, it was uh, at Breezewood Proving Grounds. We did their Outlaw Series, and that was, you know, the first fast girl I had ever met, you know, in the motocross community, in the racing community, when I was brand new to racing or riding a motocross style track that was the first girl who I could honestly say that I met and looked up to as far as that's the girl to be you know that's that that's the number one contender you know you got to figure out what she's doing so that you can be up there in that spot (laughs) that's pretty cool do you ride a a hybrid or a or a stock frame machine with a stock. A uh, stock frame, yes. Oh, Yamaha YFC 450R. You like you like that platform? Very much. I've stuck with Yamaha ever since I had that 350. I bought the 450 in 2014. I bought it brand new, and I've just been on the 450R since then. Have you ridden any other models? Uh, a couple of our friends have, you know, Hondas, Suzuki's. I've put it around on them, taken them out for a lap or two on the track. I just don't feel comfortable on them. 
you spend all that time on that Yamaha, I would expect, yeah. I would expect that that's the machine that, that you should stay on. Yeah, I'm a little biased at this point. <laughs> well, I, I get it. It's a good machine, you know. Um, I like I like it and, and the Honda for, for different reasons. Um, I think the Honda is a better off-road machine where the Yamaha, I can see how so many people like it for motocross because I can turn circles around my Honda. Really? I always just felt that I was sitting on top when I was sitting on a Honda. I felt, it's hard to say, but I almost felt like a circus bear riding around on a little car when I sat on top of a Honda. <laughs> wow. Whereas with my Yamaha, I feel like I sit more into it. I sit more into the seat instead of on top of it. Um, yes and no. They're, they're, they're two totally different ergonomics, you know, with, with the two different body positions, you know, to make them work. Sure. You know, I, I mean, it, it, it's like splitting hairs for me. Uh, like the Honda. And uh, if I was going to race strictly motocross, I could see riding either probably would lean towards the Yamaha, but in all the off-road stuff that we do on the West coast, the Yamaha just, I just don't think it's the bike for that. No, no, there's guys, there's some guys that have success with them. I mean, we won the works title in 18 on one and you know, it, it, it was a great platform, but not as many people out here have the same success that they do back there. I don't, I don't know why. I would say that, you know, there is a lot of popularity, but the Honda, especially when I first bought my Yamaha, the 450, I felt that Honda was more popular at the track. I feel that the tables have kind of turned in the last year or two, whereas before I would see a lot more people on Honda than Yamaha, whereas now Yamaha seems to be taking over. Oh, totally, because nobody else makes anything. And it's a good platform. You know, if it was a bad platform, you'd see hybrids, you'd see people bringing, you know, refurbishing their Hondas or refurbishing their Suzukis or whatever. But it's a pretty good platform. So, I can see why it's holding on and why it's going to continue to grow. I know that you haven't been going to the nationals long, but are you seeing an increase in your local series and the nationals with entries? As far as locals, I would say that this year surprisingly would was less. I don't know if, that was a result of just, you know, the catastrophic shock to the schedule last year from COVID, or if it's people who are still recovering financially from COVID. Um, I thought at the beginning of this year that we were going to have a very high turnout since our schedule was limited so much last year since so many races were canceled and postponed and postponed again until they were eventually canceled. I thought people would be so eager to 
get back out to a regular racing schedule this year that the numbers were going to be so high, you know, just from people having a lot of anticipation to finally get to come out and race since they didn't have that opportunity last year with, you know, so many tracks being shut down and communities being shut down. And this year's turnout seemed to be, to me, it was a shock at how low the numbers were now for nationals. It's hard for me to gauge considering that, you know, as we discussed, it was our first full season for nationals. I do think I was surprised, uh, you know, I, there was quite a few classes at nationals this past year that had um, LCQs. So there was enough people signing up that people had to basically race heats in order to qualify to race the second moto on Sunday. Whereas I don't know if I remembered seeing that last year in the handful of races that I raced last year. I don't know if they had those or not. I don't really remember. So I would say that the national numbers maybe were higher from what I collected from it. That having LCQs is a good thing. It means the numbers are up. Oh, are you planning on racing any other classes besides just the, the WMX? For nationals, probably just stick to the WMX for now. We would like to make some improvements in that class before moving into another class. Uh, we were happy to meet our goal of making it into the top five, but I would definitely like to see myself more towards a podium finish for the end of the season instead of being, you know, fifth overall. Do you... So I think we'll probably work on that this year. You, do you think that's totally feasible? With enough seat time, sure. I think that was my biggest uh, obstacle this year is just not getting enough seat time. Most of the time that we were riding for the races is where most of my seat time came in, in during the season. We weren't really getting a lot of practice days other than the day before a race. Work schedule or broken bike? Just work schedule and having to, you know, fit. We were fitting in two series, running a total of three classes. And with most of the nationals for us, we have to travel. So we were looking at racing pretty much every weekend during the season. So we just didn't have much time to get other practice time in. Right. Right. I totally agree with that. Do you think modifying your schedule some from the district stuff and just focusing more on nationals would give you more practice time? Yes and no. We kind of used uh, districts as a way to facilitate practice. Uh, when we would go out for practice days and for race days for districts, we just looked at it as all practice for nationals. Um, I also think if we were able to get a handle on a couple of things that haunted us during the season, it took us a while to get the suspension dialed in this year. We 
have flopped back and forth between Fox floats and Emotovaz shocks. Every year we seem to kind of go back and forth. I really liked the Fox floats at first. He liked the Motovaz um, just for when for adjustment, it's easier to adjust the uh, Motovaz than to, there's a lot more, I guess, intricate parts to deal with the Fox floats and the air um, to get them adjusted to where you need to be for every time you go to a different track. Whereas the Moto Vaz was a little bit of an easier adjustment. So we finally got that to be at a spot that I really like. And then after we got the suspension dialed in, we had a spindle issue that actually haunted us for probably half of the season that we couldn't quite get a handle on. And I think that kind of inhibited our performance a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe could have gotten a couple of better places, overalls, maybe gotten a couple of more points saved. We had uh, an issue. It felt like a warped bent rotor, you know, where you would grab the brake and sometimes you would have brake in the front and then other times you'd grab the brake and you'd have brake fade. And we looked at the rotors, we changed brake lines, we changed the entire brake lever assembly. Um, and it came down to actually being a problem with uh, front spindle. Once we got that replaced, the bike was 100% perfect. So had we kind of figured that out a little bit earlier, <laughs> we would have probably been in a better spot. Right, but it's something right. that you just don't really think of when it comes to the brakes, I guess. Um, we actually got a tip from Joel. We were uh, expressing to him what kind of issues we were having. He actually ended up having the same issue, I think, at Unadilla. He was having a brake problem, brake problem, brake problem with the front brakes. And they finally figured out, I think it was his spindle. And that's what he told us to check. Cause it was something that you just wouldn't think of for that issue. And it ended up being that for us too. The, the stock, the stock OEM Yamaha spindles bend. Yes. So ours wasn't necessarily bent. It just, it completely came loose in the knuckle to where you could just take it apart by hand. It, it was something that most people said that they never thought they would see before. Right. I hadn't seen that. Yeah, so that's now on our wall of shame, <laughs> hanging up with the rest of our unbelievable oh. parts. <laughs> oh, that, that's going to get way bigger. <laughs> Just when you think you've seen it all, you'll see something new. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we, have, we have boxes of keepers, you know, because you just, I never thought I'd see that break, <laughs> you know. Put that in the box and save that because we're gonna need we're gonna need to look at that part again because something's gonna happen because of that, and you're gonna need to know and remember, you know, you you, you can't. I, I've been doing this almost my whole life. And yes, I'm probably old enough to be your father, so maybe grandpa, maybe. <laughs> um, so 
when you do it as long as I have, you see an unbelievably amount of things. Oh, I am sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, we had, uh, uh, I was working on Mike Sloan's machine and his spindles would bend and the brakes would do that exact same thing. Well, Mike Walsh is the one that solved it by telling me, hey, put these in and that'll solve the problem. We put some of his spindles in and haven't had a problem. didn't have a problem since. So when I build a Yamaha for somebody that's going to race it, that's the first thing I do is, or one of the first things I do is put those spindles in because the stock ones won't hold up for a hard charger. Oh, I believe it. Uh, we're going to constantly be checking them now (laughs) if we ever have a problem with brake fade again (laughs) besides all of the usual parts to check we'll have that added to the list i don't think in racing and i don't think at the level that you're racing at um whether it's women's professional or men's professional you're you're riding the machine harder than most people oh it's a puppy (laughs) well hello pup (laughs) he's naughty he's constantly needing attention (laughs) Uh, you know he's one of three. Oh boy well he him by himself is bigger than all three of ours <laughs> yeah through labs we thought it would be a good idea at the at the time it sounded good on paper yeah we have uh, my wife is is a dog person I'm check technically not or I wasn't until I uh, met my wife. And now we have, we have three little ones. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Aww. We're definitely dog people. <laughs> you, you know, I keep telling my, uh, my daughter Valeria that I'm not a dog people, but you know, she catches me playing with the dogs all the time. So I guess I'm a dog people. <laughs> They've grown. Yeah. What are you going to do? Right. Do you take, do you travel with them? <laughs> To the local races, we sometimes will bring them with us. Uh, as far as nationals, we just have someone who comes up to the house and watches them. I think it would be too much commotion and not enough attention for them at the races with us constantly being out on the track and practicing and the stress of the weekend. I think they just have a much better time here at home. <laughs> yeah, and then they're excited when you get home. Yeah. It's That's always it. pleasant, pleasant surprise to come home to. So let's, let me ask, what do you see in the future for longevity of racing? I think it's just going to continue to stick around and hopefully grow bigger. Uh, I would love to see, you know, a bigger crowd out there. I would obviously love i'm sure but the rest of the people who do atv motocross to see a crowd out there that they get for you know the uh outdoor motocross dirt bikes (laughs) i would love to grow to that popularity and have the sponsorships and vendors and crowds you know out there like they do for uh those events but I don't, I, a lot of people I hear say that it's kind of going downhill, the opposite. I 
think everything comes in waves and I don't think it's ever going to disappear altogether. I think it's all about promotion. I yeah, I agree. I think self-promotion, like you coming on a podcast and talking about what you do and helping your sponsors and helping yourself grow, as well as how the racers address the events with their friends and their families and, and anybody that they can talk to in any type of media that you can get a hold of to grow your sport, you need to. Oh, and always being an ambassador for your sport. So um, you, you probably already know what I'm going to say. Everywhere you go, you need to be that person that people aspire to be as far as uh, genuine and helping others and, and, you know, just a general um, beacon of light in the darkness, because that's what will turn people towards the ATV industry instead of away from it. Oh, I totally agree. 100%. <laughs> I wish more people would bring more attention and light to ATV motocross. I think uh, the more that people spoke out about it and brought attention, like you said, to themselves and to the sport, it obviously would help grow the popularity of it. Being on the, the side of uh, building race machines and sponsoring and doing that for most of my life. And then sitting on this side of the, uh, of it, you know, being, uh, I guess you want to call it a media side. Um, the hardest thing for me is to get people to self-promote. I could understand why. I mean, I guess a lot of people don't like to talk about themselves. It puts people in an awkward spot, but it's a necessary thing. <laughs> Um, you responded quickly. You really did for most people. Um, I think our total time elapsed before I, before getting you, uh, on the show is, is been what two weeks. Yeah, I would say so. Probably there's people that I work with for months. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, I just, viewed it as an opportunity to, you know, maybe shed some light on the women and girls in ATVMX and to try to boost that demographic. You know, I'm an avid, avid female rider and love to see uh, the youth, you know, female youth coming up and racing and getting their chance and hopefully it'll be, you know, a bigger platform by the time they get to where I am. Well, if ladies such as yourself keep promoting it and keep pressing it and work with your sponsors to promote it, I think that you will achieve what you're asking. Um, if, if, if I could ask you to talk to the, the youth riders, the young girls, what would you tell them if you had the opportunity to talk to them right now? Uh, well, I would say, you know, you don't always have to be the fastest girl out there. You don't always have to be the girl who's been riding the longest. You could be just starting out or have been racing and riding for 10 years. It, it doesn't matter. You know, there's, 
sponsorships available for people of all ages and all skill levels. And there's always going to be girls, women looking up to you for doing what you're doing just because they're in a spot where they're still too scared to, to get out there. So you don't always have to be the best of the best to think that someone's going to want to talk to you or someone's going to be looking up to you. You could be your second year of racing and be consistently finishing either in the back or even mid pack. And there's still going to be girls out there looking up to you just for the fact that you're out there doing it and they haven't gotten themselves to the point of getting out there yet. Yes. Fear is, is a, is a big factor in a lot of things and you'll never know unless you would try, uh, unless you try. Right. You know, the, the, the worst thing you can be doing is be my age and go, gosh, I wish I would have done that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I absolutely love having any opportunity, especially at local races to get, you know, more interest, uh, more, more people involved, especially the girls. Um, our district actually started a beginner class this past year uh, for people coming in for, you know, youth, children who basically have zero experience, but somehow found themselves out there on a track on a quad and just don't really know what all is completely going on yet. Maybe don't understand all of the concepts of the flags, of the laps. Maybe this is their first time coming out. Um, and they're most of the time there with parents who also don't have a firm grip on what's going on. Um, it's no points associated with the class, uh, but it was great to see the amount of people who came out for that beginner class and participated in that class at every race and to be the person who, you know, one of the people who would reach out and say, Hey, if you guys need anything, if you have any questions, if you need any help, you know, you know, me and my fiance, we were always trying to let people know, Hey, we're here to help. If you guys have anything that you need to know or want to know or questions to ask. And a lot of people in our district family, you know, there's a lot of the the mini dads who did the same thing, you know, kind of reached out and helped a lot of people who were beginning. And I enjoyed seeing, you know, a couple of girls in that beginning class. Cause I just knew if they would stick with it, you know, it's more women in the, in the sport. Exactly. And that's, we always need more women in the sports. Um, I think in ATVs, especially because some of the classes aren't as big as they could be or should be. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, you have people that become interested in the sport, and then, unfortunately, there are those in the sport who, for whatever reason, either don't offer a helping hand or kind of discourage people from coming out, maybe because they don't have the experience or they don't perform that well. But, I mean, everybody has to start somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We were all there at one point. <laughs> oh, 
and and there's people that are career B riders or career C riders, and they do it because they love it. And they're just going to keep coming back and keep coming back. And that's the most important thing for them to just keep coming back. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, I, at the end of the day, to me, it still needs to be fun. Oh. You know, no matter how much of a career you're turning it into, no matter how competitive it is, uh, to me, it still needs to, for it to be worthwhile, it needs to still be fun. Do, let me ask you this. Do you make money at it? Uh, no, I mean, there's, we've gone to a handful of races that have had some payouts offered for the women's class. Um, and some of those, you know, sponsorships offer contingencies and things of this nature. But as far as, you know, the women's pro class in WMX or most other, you know, events, you're, you're not getting any kind of payout in the women's class. You, you, you have people that race in all forms of professional, you know, off-road motocross woods, there's a handful of people making money at it. Right. Most of it is, most of it is an expensive hobby for most people. (laughs) Yep. And you might be a pro at a, at a, at a specific series or an event and, you know, you win the, win the pro class and get, you know, 400 bucks. Right. Well, it cost me, a thousand to come here, you know. Right. Yeah, you'll be lucky if you break even with the cost that you had to pay out to get to the race and then to race. And then the money you make on top of it, if you're lucky, you'll be you'll break even. <laughs> I got to go to the Dakar rally in 2009. Oh, really? And the investment for the individual that was riding was well over 300k oh i can imagine and we got third and and he was all excited and he goes i'm going to give you the the purse money and when he gave me the check it was 400 dollars. oh my god (laughs) such a hard pill to swallow you're telling me that much, that many thousands of dollars and that's all you got. And, and, and he still races, it races the rallies today and spends the money. I mean, he has it and that's okay. And he loves it and he does great at it, but I, 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 I could never justify that. Yeah. I mean, I feel that, like you said, that's racing in any aspect that is racing. It's a lot of money going out and very little to none coming in. Right. That's why all of us have regular jobs. Yeah. Holly, I want to thank you so much for sitting down with ATV Talk. It was a real pleasure. National number five. That's a big accomplishment. And we expect that that number will get smaller the longer you race. Yeah, that's the that's the goal that we'll be forever working towards. <laughs> well, and congratulations on your uh, upcoming uh well, uh, racing will get in the way of that. Uh, your, your upcoming wedding at some point. Yeah, we'll have to be uh, scheduling, planning around the races for sure. Uh, but I'm sure we'll make it all work out. And <laughs> we're looking very much forward to it. Well, why don't you just get married at the racetrack, you know, on a race weekend and call it eat, call it good. <laughs> well, we got, I got proposed to at the racetrack. So, <laughs> hey, that's that's awesome. 
that that's a real fan right there you oh to, definitely you need to hold on to that guy oh i plan to <laughs> that's awesome i'm i'm a fan of his already i think he can hear you maybe right now everybody seems to be a fan of him <laughs> <laughs> well that's excellent uh, tell him thank you very much for letting me to borrow you this evening i expect that uh, we'll be talking again and um I always have an open invitation for you. If you need something or need something promoted, please don't hesitate to reach out. ATV Talk wants to help. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity and uh, loved being a part of the podcast and uh, look forward to you know whatever future endeavors. Well, as long as that number's coming down or even if it's not, you reach out and we'll recap every year. All right, sounds great. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.